Good morning, everyone. Today, on our podcast webinar series, I will be joined with Suzanne Christie, a great friend of mine, founder of the FinTech Circle and the series of InsureTech and FinTech and RecTech and WealthTech books you have seen out there. Suzanne and I will be talking about the state of FinTech, investment entering the sector, the business model we need to watch out, and big tech. Good morning, Suzanne. I'm so pleased today to have one of our leading InsureTech, FinTech, RecTech, so many names, influencers. And I look forward to having Suzanne talk to us about FinTech, a career where she is today with the FinTech Circle and these wonderful books that she has been putting for us uh, all in the sector. Good morning, Suzanne. Welcome. Good morning, Sabine. Good morning. It's a delightful to be here with you. And, and thank you again for being also my co-editor for the InsureTech book, which we published with Wiley. So I'm very, very happy to join you today in the podcast. Thank you. So just to, to show you that I, I am a follower, you know, of your work. Um, so the FinTech book, first book ever, right? Yes. Then we co-produced the InsureTech book. Uh, with uh, Nicole Anderson and uh, Sean Neely. Uh, and that was an amazing experience. Um, I have quite a few of the MBAs around the world, actually, uh, leveraging the book, utilizing the book for the study of InsureTech uh, and disruption. Uh, so that has enabled, I think, a lot of students to find insurance more approachable. So thank you. I also get this one for my... Uh, wealth management managers uh, with an insurance space. Exactly. The, the RegTech book. Fantastic. I'm sure I've missed one, but this is the latest. And you saw my article from yesterday around AI uh, yes. and a lovely you know, set of views around artificial intelligence and where it is going. So thank you, Suzanne, for enabling us to learn. Thank you, Sabina. Yes, it's fast. You know, we our, our books, the unique thing about them, as you know, is we crowdsource the best knowledge worldwide, you know, for our books, because we believe in the power of the community uh, and the power that one person alone could never write such a comprehensive book, you know, on the insurance sector, for example, it would be impossible. But having, you know, 70 authors globally representing insurance companies, insured tech startups, insured tech scale-ups, you know, insured tech thought leaders globally come together and every person contributes their own expertise, then this book really becomes extraordinary and so those that's was our goal always is to, to crowdsource and of course with the help of the editors you know and you have been one of our editors to choose the best authors worldwide uh, to contribute to our books so that's um, I guess that's what we uh, what we really enjoy doing and what we are very happy that therefore those books have got something really special and they're also easy to read you know they're, they're fun to read they're not like academic dry books you know but they're really enjoyable and, and, and easy to digest the knowledge in a, in a short in a short, effective way as well. So thank you. I would like to go through a little bit of bio, if you don't mind, uh, a bit of an introduction. So 
I know you very well because of our work with Startup Bootcamp InsurTech. You were one of our mentor and one of our investors for our uh, InsurTech startup. So thank you as well for having supported my portfolio. But there is so many layers to Suzanne. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Of course, Sabine. So I am Austrian originally from Vienna. I came, I was studying in Berkeley in the States, um, you know, for my business school. And then I went back to Vienna to work for Accenture. And the Accenture, the consulting company, they sent me to London, you know, for the first time 25 years ago. And since 25 years, I live in London. And after Accenture, you know, I worked for Morgan Stanley, uh, asset management, uh, then for Lloyds Bank, for um, Deutsche Bank before founding Fintech Circle. And Fintech Circle, the initial idea I had was because when I worked and when I studied, you know, in, in the Silicon Valley, it was at the time the internet was being developed. And it was at the time, you know, when all the, fin the internet companies, the startups were founded and we talked about Netscape having their first IPO. Uh, and I could see the vibrant atmosphere. And in 2014 in London, I saw that happening to finance. You know, I remember that in 2014, we had the fintech startups starting to emerge and we saw investors coming in. And I thought that's exactly what happened 20 years earlier, changing the life of our of the Internet. You know, but now it happens to the sector I know best, which is the financial sector. And I want to be part of it. And I had been a member of other angel networks you know, their companies pitch to present to investors for funding. And what I always found is if it's a, a sector agnostic angel network, which with many are, you know, often the investors don't find what they want. You know, if they really want fintech deals, equally the fintech startups don't pitch to investors who understand what they're doing, you know, because you need to be a finance expert or insurance expert or a technology expert to understand fintech, insure tech, you know, the sector we are in. And that's why I founded, you know, Fintech Circle as the first investor network focused only on investing in fintech deals and all our investors are fintech investors. And this makes it much easier for both sides. And this was, you know, in, in five years ago. And then since then, we've built up our social media presence. So we have reaching, you know, with our social media um, website and, and on Twitter and LinkedIn, you know, we're reaching 130,000 people every day, uh, you know, communicating on trends, you know, and, and communicating what happens in the industry. And we also have written books, you know, as we've talked about. So to share the knowledge which we see happening in the industry, you know, with the whole world and to make fintech go mainstream. I guess that's, you know, one of our goal is really to make sure that fintech becomes a mainstream sector. And I think at some stage you will replace finance overall. You know, there will be no finance without fintech. There will be no insurance without insurtech. You know, so that's, I think, the future I see. And it is actually quite profound what you are saying. No fintech without, no banking without fintech, no insurance or insurers or insurance providers without insurtech, and so on and so on. So no wealth managers without wealth tech. And what is that saying is that um, there is pocket within the financial uh, sector who are being disrupted by all those tech enablers. And we are able to move much faster often than our incumbent players. And uh, they have to watch out. So can I ask you, what are the FinTech trends you are seeing going to affect us during the next few years? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I see on one side, I see fintech companies going after pain points, which we've all suffered for a long, long time and never ever thought this could be changed by fintech. So I'll give you one example. Uh, when we think about traveling, you know, traveling uh, at the moment we can't, you know, but hopefully we will soon can travel again. And, you know, when you traveled and you bought products in a different country, you could reclaim your VAT back. And sometimes it was large amounts you could claim back for VAT. But I never in my life did that because I never wanted to queue up at the airport, you know, for my VAT receipts. So I never claimed VAT back in my whole life. And now, you know, we're working with one fintech company, which is putting all this online. So you put your VAT receipt, you just scan it, you know, you get the money back online on your mobile app back into your account. So in the future, I will, you know, reclaim my VAT because I can do it on my mobile phone now. And so that's, you know, an example where FinTech really hits the biggest pain points with millions of customers face worldwide and uh, where we can see a huge impact, you know, on a business to consumer side. I guess on the business to business side, you know, when I think about capital markets, FinTech, um, platform-based business models, we, we see more and more banks, you know, who re really want to work with fintech companies and who want to innovate and they've got choices, you know, they can hire a consulting company, they can hire fintech companies, they can acquire fintech companies. And what I see also, you know, from a board level point of view is that lots of banks want, uh, are trying to figure it out, what's the best way of how to engage, you know, with the fintech sector and often it's it's easier said than done. Yeah. You know, it's often often the, the devil is in the details. So when you acquire, for example, a fintech company, the key thing is to make sure it works after the acquisition, that you integrate the company well, you know, into your operations without destroying its spirit. But at the same time, you know, making sure that the whole organization benefits from the fintech's know-how and skills. And those things in practice are really difficult to do because you met, you're matching up to cultures, you know, two different types of people. And, uh, and I think those things is where we see, you know, more fintech companies be willing to work and learn and work with banks and more banks willing to take the step, you know, jump into the cold water and try, you know, for the first time to engage and work really with fintech companies to benefit from their solutions. And what you are saying is that the sector is really learning about what is corporate venturing. In my case, I call it insurance venturing. And I'm sure in your case, you may call it fintech or banking venturing, where we are trying to actually make sense as to who we can partner with when you look at the young venture, who we should invest in, who may, we may acquire, as you highlighted, you know, what are the right capability to start changing a business model, but also what we may want to build as well. Uh, so all yes. this comes together to build a business of the future, I assume. Totally right, you know, and I think often, you know, large organizations, they've got difficulties to build in-house without help. And of course, that's how where you come in, Sabina, you know, you can help large organizations to build ventures in-house. And, um, and that's, I think, what companies also want, because they want to be able to create proprietary know-how as well and proprietary solutions, which you can't get off the shelf, you know, often. So it's, it's always a, a strategy uh, which has to be thought out well, you know, how, how to innovate and how to make those right decisions, which have got a long-term impact, you know, a long-term impact on your PNL. They've got a long-term impact on the culture of the organization. Um, and they also sometimes tie you in, you know? So if, if you work with, with large consulting companies, you know, we've seen sometimes 
these contracts, you know, they can run three or five years. And, and so you, it has to be the right thing for the organization. And, uh, and that's where I think decision-making at the board becomes more important. So when we think about, you know, our FinTech knowledge, insure technology, the key thing is that from board levels, board level downwards that everybody understands technology more. But in the past, technology was the role of the CTO. Yes. You know, the CTO was responsible for technology. He or she was seen as a cost center. So was secondary, not that important strategically for the business, for the institution. Uh, and now this is changing. You know, now the CTO is strategically important and technology is everybody's responsibility to some extent. And so it's becomes, you know, a, a, a mandatory skill set. It's not only more nice to have, but it's really mandatory, you know, for leaders to understand how technology can shape and also empower and enable, you know, what they do from a strategic point of view. So... When you look at the CTO, I just had a little bit of a chat with a gentleman called Warren Beasley, like uh, the insurance company, but no connection with the insurance company, even though he works in the insurance market. And one thing he was highlighting as you highlight right now, Suzanne, is that the CTO, so his focus is the CTO of the future. Uh, is a business person who actually understand how to connect the dot with the company strategy and look at the future of business model to actually start seeing how emerging technology fits within that environment. That person doesn't need to be an expert in blockchain or AI or her digital twins and all those great things we are seeing coming to market. It needs to be able to be a great leader, identify the right talent and be a great connector and a great listener. And when he goes and identify those um, experts, he actually really wants to understand the company strategy mission, where they are, where they want to be and start identifying what are the core skill set. Uh, they need to build to achieve that vision, which is what you are just highlighting now. Yes, exactly. And I would say, you know, diversity is a key thing, you know, for, for anybody in, in, a, in a large financial institution to ensure that the, the team is diverse, that because when we talked about AI, you know, when we think about the testing of AI, the developing of AI, all these these um, pipes almost, you know, which you build, you know, underneath the surface. And at the end, the user will only see the result. They don't understand how they got there. Uh, but we, you know, as, as, as leaders or as owners of business need to be accountable that how we got there is the right way of getting there. You know, it's, the, it's fair decisions are being made uh, that you can, that you don't deal with the black box, you know, in terms of decision making. So when you think about, you know, using AI for loans, you know, who gets a loan, who gets rejected, you know, those things can be very discriminatory if they're coded wrongly um, and have to be the right thing. And, uh, and so that's where, you know, when we think about technologies, how they empower FinTech, you know, InsureTech, RecTech, all these other sectors, um, it's so important to understand and to have a diverse workforce developing those technologies, testing those technologies, thinking about the use cases to know how they can go wrong and how to protect you maybe with an ethical board, you know, to make sure that you're really doing the right thing long term and, uh, and don't increase any stereotypes or don't deepen any stereotypes, you know. So that's, I think, another layer of, of making our industry more complex. Okay. Uh, but we, we have to be responsible citizens, you know, to do the right, to make the right things long term. So, as you know, last year has been a little bit of a surprising year uh, coming into this year. And I would like to hear from you, understand from you, how has investment been and gone within the fintech 
Rabina. Yes, uh, good question, Sabina. And, and I mean, I think back in 2020, you know, it was a year which shocked us all. You know, I've been in China at the beginning of 2020. I've literally been in Beijing, you know, introducing our Mandarin, Mandarin version of our books, you know, to universities and, and to, to businesses there. And I came back end of January from China, hearing for the first time about the coronavirus. You know, and I thought, gosh, luckily I didn't get it when I was there. And, and then, you know, within two months, the whole world, you know, we all were suffering. And I would say, you know, the impact on the fintech sector initially was um, quite profound because people and companies, we just nobody knew what to do. You know, we didn't know what the future would look like. And if you don't know how the future should look like, it will look like you don't know how to plan for it naturally, you know, because you don't know which weight you want to go towards. Plus, you don't know how long it lasts. So you don't know, should you just wait and see and, and wait until it's over? Or do you need to prepare with new business models, new strategies? But and in terms of investors, you know, what I've seen initially in the second quarter of last year was that investors were basically standing still, you know, pausing and just observing, seeing what, what's happening now, you know, and what is, what can we do? Because normal investors, especially early investors, and you know this, you know, from Startup Bootcamp, angel investors, they like to meet the entrepreneurs in person mm -hmm. because it's a very personal relationship. Initially, when you meet founders and you want to get to know them, you want to understand their vision. And all of a sudden we were not allowed to do that anymore in lockdown. You couldn't meet in person. So, the question was, you know, for the whole sector, would we be able to move investment decisions online? You know, would investors be willing to invest and back in new startups, which they've never met before in their life? And initially, I thought that's a challenging task, you know, because I never have seen that happening before. But now a year later, I can say, yes, it works. You know, people now make investment decisions without having met the founders in person. And we've started doing that, you know, the second half of last year. And, and we, everybody feels more comfortable doing it because we have been coming used to doing everything online. You know, we're used to our Zoom meetings and to our webinars and we're used to doing everything online now. So the resistance of making important decisions without meeting somebody in person, I think has gone away. And, uh, and that's really key you know, for, for the investors, uh, early stage investors and for early stage startups who need you know, the first rounds in this current environment, that's really important. Uh, I would say the second thing what I've seen in terms of investors is that investors, later stage investors have focused initially last year to back up their portfolio companies. You know, because the key thing was, let's ensure that our portfolio companies survive. Absolutely. Uh, that's, you know, key priority number one, that nobody runs out of cash. Because, of course, everything came to a standstill. You know, often sales fall apart, sales deals fall apart. You know, the pipeline got longer yeah. or the sales uh, uh, timings, everything delayed, got delayed. And, uh, and so the key thing was to make sure that your portfolio do companies don't run out of cash by backing them, you know, maybe with a bridge round. And so we've seen lots of, you know, venture capital funds doing that, you know, backing up and, and supporting their portfolio companies before looking at it onto new deals. And then I would say late stage investors, you know, when we think about late stage VCs, private equity funds, you know, who only invest in highly profitable fintech companies um, and late stage deals, I think they often also wait for distressed opportunities now. You know, where companies 
do run out of cash, but still have got high quality companies behind it, but they are in a weakened position. So they need an injection of cash to survive. And then of course you can access you know, distressed debt. You can access you know, more distressed equity opportunities, which normally are at lower valuations, but you know, these are a different type of investors who come in later stage to help out at this stage to do and it of course must be a good company still you know who has got the opportunity to survive and thrive long term mm -hmm. but we've seen lots of movement i would say in the fintech sector in terms of investment behavior uh, but long term the good news is long term the fintech sector will boom will continue to boom and investors want to stake in the sector you know so i think long term the sector will be backed by investors all the way through from early stage investors to late stage investors like it has before. And, and so I'm very positive long-term to know that we have got the financial backing and our, our entrepreneurs have got the financial backing they need. Yeah. So what you're highlighting is, is so true. You know, I work with insurance companies and usually when you work with uh, insurers, um, the, the uh, I would say the sales cycle, the engagement cycle is very long. And so I would say with um, the crisis of last year going into this year, there is no doubt that some of the projects which were planned have been delayed. Um, and uh, insurers have been, I think, in some respect, focusing on digitizing processes which were still the analog and they were able to actually see what didn't work for their clients actually last year. So some of the ventures we did very well were those who were doing automation, uh, enabling engagement, you know, like the simple chatbot, right? Did quite well. Um, automation, you know, the RPA platforms also did very well uh, to actually help with that customer engagement. Cyber security, did very well. But then you have maybe some of the more um, longer term proposition, which had to wait and see where the market uh, is going to actually get to uh, position and sell their, their platform, which means that uh, I've seen amazing investors supporting those businesses as well during the past, past few months to make sure that they had the backing needed to progress uh, to the next level. So, yes, so true. So um, when you look then at, um, you know, we talk often about challenger banks, neo banks, and I would love to get your definition of what that is. And based on the conversation you have with uh, a lot of us around the globe, do you see some parallels happening when you think about red tech, when you think about insure tech, uh, even when you look at the AI trend, you know, are you seeing challenger AI? Do you see challenger insure techs? You know, what is, what are the winning business model you are seeing emerging right now? Yes. Across the globe. Uh, good, good uh, question, Sabine. And I would say, you know, in terms of um, challenger banks, I mean, I think that we've got lots of great challenger banks out there. You know, we've got lots of choice. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of our large banks would acquire challenger bank, you know, because it's much easier, I think, to acquire challenger bank and then integrate this into a large brand, brand uh, a bank with millions of customers and the other way around than acquiring millions of customers into a new challenger bank. So I think it, it, I wouldn't be surprised more consolidation happens, you know, in the challenger banking sector in the future. 
And um, and I think that's, of course, for Challenger Bank's wonderful exit opportunities as well, you know, because that's a great exit for the founders. I also think that Challenger Banks, in order to make money, need to move into the lending business. Because if you just take deposits, you don't make money, as you know. Um, and the only way to make money is to provide loans. And lots of Challenger Banks don't have the capability of credit scoring customers. You know, are they credit worthy or not? And so I also think that the VC acquisitions in the future, where Challenger Banks will buy lenders, you know, to buy in this lending capability. And, um, you know, and I, I'm on the board of, of, of two companies who focus on lending. And, and it's a huge, unique capability to know whom, because it's always easy to lend money out, very difficult to get the money back. You know, that's the hard part. And therefore, you have to be very smart whom you lend money to. And you have to check on continuously. And, and with AI, you can do that, obviously. And with open banking, you know, are these customers continue to be credit worthy? And if not, how do you respond? And of course, there are fintech companies out there you know who insure invoices as well mm -hmm. so they make the life of lenders easier because they actually insure the invoice so the invoice is valid otherwise it's insured by an insurance company so so we've got you know those fintech companies in this in this process between uh, between uh, uh, lenders and uh, the end client as well. So I would say in terms of challenger banking, I would say we will see lots of movement. You know, we will see banks be acquired. We will see challenger banks acquiring other fintech companies. So the exits, you know, from a fintech company point of view are not just to banks, but are to other larger fintech companies. You know, so we see lots of movement there. Uh, I would say in terms of business models and what are the most successful ones, you know, going forward across the various subsectors, uh, you know, which you mentioned InsureTech or RegTech, uh, I do believe that platforms, you know, have got a long way to go because platforms have got this huge advantage of being multi-sided. You know, like we've seen, I mean, with uh, examples like Airbnb, Uber, you know, you've got your drivers on the one side, you've got your clients on the other side. Um, on a fintech example in the telecom sector, you know, is a, a fintech company, um, they're called Lenderwise, you know, they offer... Uh, funding for telecoms operators. So it's a fintech company working for telecoms operators to provide cash flow funding. And again, they've got two sides of the equation. One side are all the telecoms operators who can't go to a bank to get loans because the banks don't understand the business. You know, they don't understand the calls which have been done by this telecoms operator because they're all digital. They can't show, they don't get a proof. Uh, it's much harder while this fintech company can prove each call has actually been taken. They can go to the details. They've got this platform built. And then they've got investors on the other side to invest on their platform, you know, for these telecoms operators. So I think these business models have got this advantage that you don't need much fixed costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you need to develop the platform initially, but as soon as you've got that, you've got a competitive edge because if you build both sides, you know, of the platform, you make it very sticky. And if you continue to innovate, your platform is very highly profitable, you know, for you as, as the platform owner uh, and it generates very nice uh, profit margins. So that's, I believe, is a key, you know, business model in, in the future is really building an ecosystem around your organization and using platforms to support you um, scaling up without having high fixed cost investments um, and, and, and to do and just being able to scale up globally, you know, at lower costs. Yeah. So the platform supported by the ecosystem, 
to yes, start sir. challenging uh, existing business model by looking at multi-sided business model. So, um, you know, um, a buyer, a seller, um, potentially an investor, like you have been building with uh, the FinTech circle, uh, leveraging uh, your, your investor um, network, us as writers, but also uh, the FinTech ecosystem to actually start driving value in very unique ways. Um, one point you actually highlighted is banks cannot succeed um, challenger bank may not be able to succeed if they just focus on the, the normal uh, bank account. So therefore they need to link lending and borrowing. And you know, Unfinancial has done that very successfully, lending, borrowing, and, um, and just uh, cash payments. So by combining different businesses together. So when you start looking at big tech, what are the big tech we need to pay attention to and be worried about? Yes. So big tech, I think, is a huge topic, you know, all these tech chimes who are moving in. Uh, and when I think about, you know, the Chinese players, as you mentioned, you know, Alibaba and Financial Tencent with WeChat, you know, these apps are, I mean, they are, they are enormous. You know, you can do everything on, on WeChat. You know, you can do everything with, with Alipay. It's incredible, you know, how powerful those apps are. And they're not just China focuses, we know, but they're across Asia uh, gaining market share. And even in Europe, you know, they're gaining significant market share because all retailers who want to sell to Chinese customers, they install these payment options on their checkouts because Chinese customers or Asian customers want to pay with their existing payment methods. And, uh, and so I think we will see lots of further growth, you know, from uh, Chinese and from, from Asian tech giants, but equally from the US tech giants. You know, when I think about Amazon, Ali, um, uh, Apple, you know, PayPal, I mean, it's, it's one of the oldest fintech companies. I, get, I guess, you know, I, I remember at Amazon, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, I only saw them as a book platform, you know, selling books online. Now they are providing more than a billion pound in loans to their merchants. So who would have thought that Amazon would provide loans? But of course, Amazon is in a much better position to provide loans to its merchants than any bank would ever be because they can see daily what these merchants transact on Amazon. You know, they can see the cash flow behavior, they can see how quickly customers pay them. So they've got this unique competitive advantage on data. And, uh, and so these tech giants have got an enormous size, as we know, you know, we always see the, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world now, you know, stepping down and taking, you know, a chairman role. Um, but I, I would say, you know, financial services companies uh, don't have to be afraid of fintech startups or insurtech startups or insurtech scale-ups, but they have to be afraid or at least uh, watchful, you know, what the tech giants do. Because I think this, the tech giants have got the same uh, the same amount, the same brand values globally. They've got often deeper pockets, you know, to move fast. They've got often quicker technologies to deploy. So I think that's where, that's why I see such a great marriage almost, you know, of, of financial institutions working with fintech companies, insurance companies, rector companies in order to compete against the tech giants. That's, I think that's the way I see the equilibrium globally, you know, because in order to compete against tech giants and how fast they move and how quick they are, you need the best fintech insurance companies working for you to have a chance 
I think realistically to really be stay competitive long term, and so that's I think a huge dynamic which will become much more powerful, you know, in the future, and very interesting to for us to watch and observe. Um, and I think for for any leaders, you know, in financial institutions is one I would be most. Uh, watchful and more most concerned about but but not in a way of, of being still and just looking but of a, of, a, of taking action so I think if somebody we now or everybody needs to take actions now to change the business models if they think it's not it's not um, future proof you know and really building up your ecosystem venture venture investments building up your own ventures in-house you know doing the right things to become a technology empowered financial institution um, in order to really compete long-term successfully. Mm. One thing you know, I've learned working with you and uh, gaining your support when I was uh, building Startup Bootcamp in Tech is that no one can do it alone and you have to build your, your network and your ecosystem support the friend of the family, I would say, uh, because you never know where that could go. And um, one of the, um, you know, Chinese um, players I was fortunate and work with on an event actually three years ago is Zonghan. And uh, the people I've met at Zonghan, you know, amazing people, they came to do an event in actually in, in Copenhagen uh, for, for me at the time. And what we talked about is um, that understanding of your core competencies, um, you know, and understanding what your partner's core competencies are too. And they were able to build already three years ago, right? 300 partnership, which they, that enable them to build their ecosystem, which enables them to, you know, raise a billion, right? They raised, um, uh, they, 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 were, they, they were able to, to raise around 15 billion with now a valuation around, I think 42 billion. And, um, there were so many wise words they that shared with us around how they see the future of lifestyle, the future of travel, the future of you know the way we buy things, and connecting those different uh, players into their ecosystem and valuation to make it super sticky. Your example around Amazon as well. Yes, so that's true. What would be, what would be uh, Suzanne, your your last few words for uh, those listening to? Uh, to this webinar podcast series. Yes, uh, I mean, my, my, I guess my last recommendation would be for all women listening to us, Sabine, is that FinTech and InsureTech needs more women, you know, women, female entrepreneurs, female investors, female leaders. So if, if this sector interests you, please join number one and please show your skills show your talents you know the sky's the limit uh, and we because we need more female diversity you know and, and i think we we i know you sabina and i you know we both support women to come in the sector to grow up and, and move upwards and i think this would be one of my dreams that we see our sector being more diverse uh, in all its aspects, you know, and um, and I would love to see uh, more female entrepreneurs and CEO positions, you know, more more female uh, leadership teams raising funding rounds successfully. So I think we I would love to to celebrate more female leadership, you know, in our sector, and um, and and I think we as I guess from a government point of view, uh, from a regulatory point of view, and also from our points, you know, as as being organizations who support ecosystems and support. You know, 
the, 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 our, 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 in our, our ecosystem and our, our community, um, this would be one of my big goals, you know, to have more female leaders in our industry who shine the way and show us what the future can do for us, you know, in, in this sector. Those are really wise words, more female leaders who actually build a platform and the ecosystem of the future. Exactly. That is a, you know, a goal and a mission we should aspire to, to uplift our colleagues in the sectors uh, and the industry um, to aspire to do and be. Yes, yes, 100%. That's what I hope for. And I think that's what we should get to uh, because we'll make the world a better place, you know, 100%. Let's make the world a better place. Thank you, Suzanne, yes. for spending some time with me today. I'm so grateful. Uh, and I look forward to doing that again, I hope, in the future. Me too, Sabine. Lovely. Thank you very much for having me. And speak very soon. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.